Attention residents of the high desert, did you know that a Comic-Con style event is coming to the San Bernardino Fairgrounds on February 8, 2020? Other than being a host to celebrity signings, giveaways, and a cosplay contest, we want to open the doors to the local community of businesses and give you an opportunity to sell your wares. If you want to be part of the Jay Zoman's Pop Culture Expo, contact Dave at 760-553-6906 or email him at pce at jayzoman.com. That's pce at j-a-y-z-o-m-o-n.com. Or visit us online at www.jayzoman'spopcultureexpo.com. Hey, this is Don Smith from the Life Radio Show. If you've always wanted to learn more about the world of low-budget filmmaking and even lower-budget comedy, tune into the Life Radio Show. You can live stream the show at www.su1069.org on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Or find us wherever you find podcasts and like and follow the Life Radio Show on Facebook for live video and other shenanigans. Now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. The World of Myth Bitch. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 60 of The World of Myth Bits. I am your host, Stephanie Barty. Yes, 60. Wow, 60. Six, zero. Holy moly. Okay, so it's snowing, it's blowing, and it is December. We are sitting at December 15th, so we are 10 days away from Christmas. And a few more days than that, away from the end of the year. Um, and the end of the year always tends to make people reflective. You know, what have they done over the years and, you know, how have they survived the, the year they've just gone through and the hardships and things like that. So I've been feeling a little reflective, I guess you could say, as my past podcasts have <laughs> shown you. Um and I decided, I realized, well, I didn't decide, I realized Facebook has this uncanny ability to record everything you've put on there. Notes, poetry, writing, statuses, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. So I started going through, um, I used to write notes. Um, I used to live journal a lot. And um, I had to shut that down because some of the things that I was writing on there um, was upsetting members of my family. And back in those days, it was all about keeping everybody else happy and shoving my emotions and my needs um, into a box and putting them away because they weren't important. Now, not so much. So some of the notes that I had, some of the things that I had written on my live journal, um, I wanted to save because they were important to me. They were markers of a specific time in my life that 
I didn't necessarily want to remember, but needed to remember. Um, and I found, as I was going through a lot of these things, that between 2008 and 2010, things were not great for me. <laughs> we're a lot of not, a lot of not so happy notes. Um, some of them were good, and I've decided. To, tonight that I'm going to share some of those notes with you a little bit later in the podcast. Um, I'm going to read them to you and you can take from them what you will, what you need to. Um, They are all, of course, my opinions, my feelings, my thoughts. Yeah. So there you go. I had to pause for a drink. Um, so it's December. Yay. Woo-woo. Christmas is coming. Oh boy. You're my excitement. <laughs> I know. Everybody, I've, I've had so many people say to me, you know, well, how can you be down this time of year? The lights and everything is so pretty and it's Christmas and family and la la la. But what a lot of people tend to forget is that this time of year can be one of the hardest for people, especially people who have lost loved ones, because you're going through another major holiday without that person. And this will be our 12th, yep, 2019, this will be our 12th Christmas without my dad. And it doesn't get any easier. It, it really doesn't. I mean, yeah, we have a good time. We're together as a family. But that big chunk is always missing. Um, when we make our um, wrapping paper mountain, we we had, my dad started this thing when we were kids um, because there was one specific room in the house, the formal family room the living room, as it's called. The family room was where the TV was and we all hung out. The living room was where the Christmas tree was and the presents were because, you know, it was a showcase. My mom liked pretty things. And that's where we would open our presents. Well, instead of being concerned about making sure we gather up all the wrapping paper and we put it in the garbage bag right away and you said the blah, 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 all of that, my dad had this had established this rule that you ball up your your wrapping paper and you throw it over your shoulder into the hallway. So we didn't have to waste time worrying about where the paper was going. We would open our gifts, ball it up, toss it over our shoulder, out into the hallway it would go. And by the time we were done opening the tree, um, there would be this mountain of wrapping paper in the hallway. (laughs) And my dad just absolutely loved it because we weren't rich. Um, my parents weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. My mom was really, really good at budgeting and working with a tight budget. But seeing that mountain of paper for my dad, um, in a sense, validated for him the hard work he had put in that year. You know, the, the baseball games he may have missed and the, the recitals and the concerts and 
um, the weekend getaways that we didn't go on because we couldn't afford it, that pile of paper meant that he was able to give his children what he thought in his mind was a memorable Christmas. And as kids, yeah, it was great. He had a ton of gifts. It was awesome. Um, as an adult now, I don't remember what I got for Christmas. I mean, I remember some things because I really, really wanted them. And I was surprised that I actually got them. But I remember coming down the stairs Christmas morning and opening up our stockings from Santa Claus. And then, you know, we would all run into the kitchen after we'd opened our stockings and we'd have like a piece of toast or a piece of fruit, like an orange or something. And we would gulp that down as fast as we could so that we could go open the tree. And once we had opened all the presents under the tree, then my dad, we would all kind of gather in the kitchen. We'd be playing with our toys and looking at all of our stuff. And my mom and dad would go into the kitchen and within 15 minutes or so, you'd start to smell bacon and sausages and eggs and pancakes and toast and everything you could imagine. My dad would home fries and um, like we'd have bacon and eggs and toast and sausages and pancakes and home fries and you name it. My dad would make it and we would have big breakfast. Now we would have a smaller version of big breakfast every Sunday morning all throughout the year, but Christmas morning was big breakfast and big breakfast pretty much held us over throughout the day um, until dinner. We would have snacky foods in the afternoon, like, you know, you'd have your shrimp ring and your, your um, sausages and like piggies in a blanket and, and meatballs and cheese and crackers and as much chocolate as we could possibly shove into our little faces without our parents taking it away and saying, you've had enough chocolate, now you're going to make yourself sick. And that would tide us over until turkey dinner. But that was my dad's thing. Seeing him in the kitchen Christmas morning, um, you know, in his jammy pants and his, his t-shirt undershirt, making big breakfast and laughing and, and smiling and just loving every minute of it. He loved having his family around. And even though it's been 12 Christmases now, will be 12 Christmases. My brother tries. He tries to fill that hole. But that hole is still there. And it's a hard one to fill. And I miss him. So this time of year can be hard for people who have lost loved ones and are reminded that they are celebrating yet another holiday without that loved one. It can be a hard time of year for people struggling financially, especially when you have a list of people you absolutely have to buy for because they're not going to understand. Oh, we don't have any money this year. I can't buy you something like your grandchildren. They're not going to understand. Your nieces and nephews, they're not going to understand. Now, my siblings and I, we stopped buying for each other a few years ago because 
we have a plethora of nieces and nephews amongst all of us and kids of our own. Um, and now I have grandchildren. So, um, we decided, you know what? I would much, we would much rather buy for the kids than to buy for each other. We just, we'll go out for dinner or we'll have a game night or something and we'll hang out. Just being together is a gift. So we stopped buying for each other. But I still have to buy for my children, my grandchildren, my three nephews, my niece. So this time of year, when you're on a tight, limited income, like we have one paycheck coming into the house right now, um, it's tough and it's stressful and it's depressing and you don't want to celebrate because you don't know if you're going to survive it, you know? So be gentle with those that seem less than jolly because you don't know what they're going through at that moment in time. You don't know what they're facing. You, unless they're the type of person that plasters everything that they do all over Facebook, you don't know what their financial situation is like. You don't know what their personal situation is like. You don't know what their emotional situation is like. So if you see somebody who is not as jolly as you think they should be, maybe have a chat. Say, hey, you know, I'm here for you. It's going to be okay. If you want to talk, let's talk. What can I do? And a lot of times, you know, especially um, very proud people, when you, how can I help? Don't worry about it. We're fine. You know, it's not necessarily financial aid that they need or you to jump in and do something. Sometimes just being there is enough. Saying, you know what? I get it. I understand. You want to vent? Vent. I'll listen. I won't judge. So, Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay, so, before I forget, PCE Countdown is on! We have secured some more really cool vendors. I'm so excited. I know this one vendor that is going to be there. I don't know them personally, but this one particular vendor, um, I'm going to have to leave my credit card and my bank card and any money that I have with somebody. And I'm going to have to go through a litany of questions as to do I really, 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 really need this because I want everything they have. Everything. Everything. Absolutely everything. And I do see a new top hat in my future. Just saying. So things are going really great. Things are starting to pick up some serious steam. Um, I made all the important announcements last week, and I'm sure I will have more important announcements coming up. I just don't have any today because I forgot to say, hey, Dave. <laughs> today is the deadline for the magazine. So um, get your stuff in 
as quickly as you possibly can. If you have artwork, we could really use some artwork. Um, send it on over. That'd be great. And, and you know, whatever else. Holiday themed, festive themed, Christmas themed. I don't care. Send it. <laughs> I'll take a look at it. Um, I'm, I'm really scattered today. I don't, it, I don't know. It's just, I spent all day yesterday in my pajamas tormenting my husband with cheesy Christmas movies. Um, you know, the, the, the typical ones, boy meets girl, small town, blah, 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 falls in love, the end. Yeah, those ones. Because I like those ones. I do. I don't have to think about it. I know what's going to happen. And I like them. I mean, I have my set particular ones that I watch every year, like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and The Grinch. Um, oh, my husband's favorite, which is, um, you're going to shoot your eye out, uh, A Christmas Story. And um, there's a few other ones. I can't think of them off the top of my head. We watch them every year. But they are specifically for the last week before Christmas. And then we watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and The Grinch and The Nightmare Before Christmas on Christmas Eve. It's law. So I watch cheesy Christmas movies pretty much starting in November as soon as they start all the way up till then. So I tormented him yesterday. But today I've just kind of been all over the place. Um, I wrote a bunch of stuff today, but I am probably going to end up, when I sit down tomorrow, um, delete it because it, it was garbage. It really was garbage. <laughs> um, and then I, I got reflective and, and thinking... Um, and all of that good stuff. So now I'm going to torture you with some things that I've written a long time ago. Why? Because I can. So back in about 2010, it was in October and I was feeling reflective. And I, as I am now, um, I seem to do this every 10 years or so, nine or 10 years. I go through a metamorph metamorphosis of sorts, a change. And I wrote this note, um, and it's called Love. It's all you need, LOL. I'm going to read it to you. Okay, oh, hold on. If my computer decides it's going to work, I will read it to you. I just have to let... My wonderful boss know that I am podcasting because he's finally decided to get back to me. <laughs> okay. Dealt with Dave. I do that a lot. Deal with Dave. Okay, so I'm going to read it to you. You can take away from it what you want. And I will talk a bit about it after I'm done reading it. Okay. I've been doing a lot of personal work this summer, looking at myself, staring at my shortcomings and my parts that need work straight in the eye. I have accepted certain things, let certain things go, embraced others. Self-discovery is never easy and it's never painless, but it is always needed 
Change was definitely needed. Throughout my journey, one thing has rung within me. It was a movie that I watched in late May, one I had seen many times, and is my favorite. It's called A Walk to Remember. It was a movie, it was in a movie. Oh, ha ha! Okay. But this one scene stuck out more so than ever before. It was part of my mother's, who's now divorced, wedding service. It has popped up in numerous places throughout the summer and has just recently, through friends, who received a message while attending a sweat lodge. Now, it is a Christian passage, but I have learned that a religious path does not matter when it comes to a message of importance. The divine works in any way it can to get you to see the message that you must. I do not follow a specific Christian path. I am spiritual, in case you were wondering about that reference. Now, I would like to share that here, and maybe it will ring in someone else's soul as much as it has in mine. And to be honest, it still kind of rings true with me today. So, and it did help me, and it does help me. It's 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but not have but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It also protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, that when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, or woman, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully grown. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And without love, what do you have, really? You don't have anything. Um... Love is the greatest gift you can give somebody, and this gift is the greatest gift you can receive. And it, love isn't not love comes in many many forms. It's not necessarily the romantic love, the storybook love, the love between a husband and wife. It's the love between a mother and a child, or a father and a child. Love between friends, best friends. Um, your soulmate doesn't necessarily mean the person you're married to. It could be a best friend. It could be a stranger. But love is important. And without love, if you don't love yourself, you don't love others, you're empty. You have nothing. So you can take away from that what you will. But that was something that kind of struck me. Um back then. And 
it still rings true to me today. It still resonates with me today. And when I see that movie, that passage hits me very, very strongly. Um, so there you go. That's that one. Now, this time of year, there's a lot of Christmas songs going on. And I wrote this particular note in 2009, January 5th, 2009 to be exact, about one of those songs. And this is going to get incredibly personal. Um, you know what? I'm not going to do this one yet. I'm going to save it. I'm going to do this one later. I'm going to do the epiphany that I had. And I think, I'm hoping this one will strike a chord with writers out there that are struggling, that are having a hard time finding faith in their works. Because I wrote this in August of 2009. And here we are, 11, 10 years later, just over 10 years later. And I'm going to read you this note. And I want you to, to think about the difference between the person who wrote this note in 2009 and the person who's reading it to you now in 2019. Okay, so it's called Epiphany of Sorts. I've always had little or no faith in my writing ability. Whatever I had written, I always gave someone or something, be it a person, deity, or just simply spirit, credit for what I had written. I've always just felt like a failure. I have never been published, so to speak. There is no book out there with my name on the cover. That is something that has always haunted me. I have always believed that a successful writer is one who has, who has a published book under his or her belt. This past week at KG, which is a festival that I would attend, I'd done a lot of internal working, path, spiritual, and emotional. I'd put away some old notions, come to terms with some personal issues, and taken a good look, hard look at my writing. I've had an epiphany of sorts, I guess, on many things. I will never be the size 12 I used to be, and I will be okay with that someday. I can still be beautiful, sexy, and appealing to others, but what is inside and not by a Barbie doll cover? I can find happiness, contentment, and peace in the weeds of my fairy garden, the deep sigh of my dog, and the weight of my husband's head on my chest. And I can write. I can take words, arrange them on paper, give them meaning, depth, and emotion, I can create a story out of nothing more than a blank page. I can move people with my words, invoke emotion and response. I enjoy writing, no matter what it is. It is something that is so much a part of me that I can survive without it like I could survive without air. I have completed many poetical works, short stories and musings. I am successful. For me, now... Success is being able to take that feeling inside, that intangible idea, that emotion, and put it into words. I am successful many times over, and that will be enough for me. I will still strive for the great Canadian novel, 
and I will still send out my words, but no longer will I feel defeated if I am told no. No is not a reflection of my writing. It is a reflection of the genre in which I am submitting to. I am just one of many great writers. I now write for me and for the enjoyment of those who choose to read what I have written. I love what I do, and I am truly blessed that others enjoy reading my words. Those are my successes, and I am thankful for every one. I have reached the conclusion that to be successful is to be successful in your own mind, your own heart, for only you can decide if you have made it or not. You define what is a success and what is a failure. I have felt like a failure in any aspects other than writing, but again, only I am responsible for that. Here I am. I am here. I am loved. I am confident in my spiritual teachings and eager to learn more. I am a good person, but most importantly, I love myself. I am proud of my accomplishments and am at peace with my place in the world. I feel as if I have reached a crossroads of sorts, and my body is leaning towards a direction, waiting only on my feet to move. This is my first step down the new path. I am eager, excited, scared, and blessed that I am able to move in this direction, and to be able to make that choice for myself. I am reborn. The seeds I planted on the new moon come to fruition on the full, and not just the result of the spell, but the spell itself has opened my eyes to many more things. I will write for me, for my family, for my community, and I can't wait to get started. Now that was 10 years ago, and a lot of what I've said there still rings true. I don't write for anybody else but me. Now, I do have a few books under my belt that have my name on it. Um... But I still, that still doesn't define me as successful. The fact that I've completed something, that I can move somebody with words, that I can invoke a vision in somebody's head through what I have written on paper, even if it's just one person, is a success for me. So when you're looking at your writing and you're trying to define your writing in terms of success. Try looking at it from a different angle. Don't look at success as I've got this published book and I'm selling dozens and, and hundreds and thousands of copies and, you know, people are buying is no. Look at it as you have moved one person by your words. If you're a poet and you invoke an emotional response from just one person, you are a success. You are successful. Because as writers, that is what we set out to do. To create pictures, to create emotions, to create connections with what we've written to somebody else be it a family member or a complete stranger. But when you're writing, don't write to impress that other person. Write for yourself. Write because you have to. Write because you need to. Because it's who we are. It's what we do. So, that's that one. 
Now this one is, is before I get into the, okay, you know what, we'll get into the serious stuff and then I will read you the, the, the funny one to lighten the mood. Okay. So I wrote this January 5th, 2009 and I'm warning you now it's going to be emotional. Um, it's not going to be easy for me to read. So bear with me. It's called, so it's a new year. <clears throat> I'm drink before I start this. <laughs> okay. I'll hail water. Okay. Here we go. So it's a new year. What have you done? Always hated that line in that song. What do you mean? What have I done? Like you should have performed some major feat each year. And if you don't, then it was pointless. I survived. I managed to make it to 2009, still alive, fairly intact, and with some of my sanity. That, in and of itself, is a feat. As many of you know, 2008 was not my stellar year. Health issues piling up, bills, no matter how hard we tried, we just couldn't seem to get ahead. Then my father dies. Biggest blow of the year. He got sick in May, so became becoming permanently attached to my cell phone while I was out of town became the norm. Seemed like every time I was more than an hour away, my father ended up in ICU, so I stopped going so far away. Then fire dance, which was only a little over an hour away. The whole weekend, not a peep. Dad was doing well when I left. Saturday night, I decided I would put the phone away for the night. One night wouldn't matter. 10.30 Sunday morning, the phone rang. It was the call. Come home immediately. Daddy is in a coma and not doing well. He slipped into the coma at 6.35 that morning. Mom helped him go to the bathroom because he was too weak to get out of bed. He looked at his fistful of pills for a very long time. Then looked at Mom and said, He told her, he was glad she was his wife, because a girlfriend wouldn't do go to the lengths my mom had. She told him she was glad to. He looked at her and said, It's too hard. And went to sleep. He never woke up. When I arrived, he was still aware of what was going on around him, but he couldn't open his eyes or speak, which caused him great distress until we explained to him that it had been that he had had a stroke. For a while after, he would communicate with his hands wiggling them to say hello, thumb up to show he was in agreement or happy about a decision. His right side was useless, but he used his left as much as he could. He talked to us that way. He would hold our hand, squeeze it, and through that he would convey his love for each of us. That was Monday. Tuesday, his lungs got very bad. He was drowning. The nurses prepared us for the worst, and we talked about it at his bedside. My mom and I couldn't stand to see him in such distress. So, her being Christian, I being spiritual, we combined our faith, strength, and love and did the best we could for him. His lungs cleared in a little over an hour. The doctor was amazed the next morning when he came in to check on Dad. That was Wednesday morning. At this time, 
We could see he was in extreme pain, so they upped his morphine and gave control of it to Mom. We didn't want him to suffer. So we fought the battle of the pain and found that if we just kept on top of it, he wouldn't get agitated and he, wouldn't seem, he would seem somewhat at peace as long as someone was holding his hand. Preferably Mom, but he would turn to us for comfort when she was unavailable. Thursday. We knew he was close. Both Mom and I stayed by his side, taking turns wiping him down and rearranging his pillows. I combed his hair, washed his face, and we both spent the day talking to him, telling him it was okay, he could go. He didn't have to fight anymore. We held it together pretty well, her and I, neither of us having anyone to lean on but each other. Her husband was lying there dying. Mine was home keeping the children looked after. My brother and sister, thankfully, both had someone they could lean on, someone to hold them together. They are not cut from the same cloth as my mother and I. It's not a bad thing. I find it a wonderful thing, because they have not had to experience the pain and hardships that I did growing up. And that is a reflection on my dad. He made their childhood wonderful, full of wonderful memories, loving lessons, and was a great role model. We'll always be grateful to him for that. In this day, when childhood is anything but normal, and is fraught with danger, pain, and disillusionment, he gave them normal. Then I get a phone phone call which takes me away from my father's side. I must leave to deal with a matter immediately. Apparently it couldn't wait. I was furious. I said things that to this day I do not regret. If I must pay for them as part of my karmic debt, then so be it. That was the day my husband came up to visit. As he walked in, I was walking out. I dragged him down to the office with me because I was afraid of what I might do if left alone with this person. I was gone maybe twenty minutes. As I walked back to the hospital doors, I saw my aunt, my mother's sister, waiting for me. She was crying and shaking her head. He was gone. He died five minutes before I got back. I took all I had and both my aunt and my husband to hold me, to make me to make that walk to his room slowly. I wanted to run. I wanted to race to his side, make it untrue. I walked into his room, and everyone was there. My brother and his girlfriend, my sister and her boyfriend, my mom. Still at his side. I took my place at his other side. I kissed his forehead gently, which I had done every day since he got sick, just like he used to kiss me when I was sick. And then I lay on his chest and I cried. I had to quickly pull myself together because I was afraid I would never stop. I combed his hair, washed his face, but I just couldn't say goodbye. I called those I had to call. Some came up to say goodbye. And I still couldn't say it. I still can't. And I still won't let myself cry. I won't ever stop if I do. 2008 was a good year for my family, and 2008 was not a good year. It saw the birth of my beautiful nephew. It saw the beginning of the rift between myself and my family start to mend. It saw the death of my dad. When I think back on that year, I seem to always start in May. Life as I knew it changed in May. So, am I sad to see the old year go? I don't know. It was the year I had my father. He was still here. And now I begin a new year without him. I don't know what this new year will bring. 
I know some of it's going to be painful, and I'm going to be called on to be strong for those who need it. I don't want to know if that, what will, bleh, bleh. I don't want to know what it will bring. It's just time, and time marches on whether you're marching with it or not. So, when I hear that song, what have you done? I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Because I survived. That's what I've done. Each and every year since that year, I have survived. Another year has gone. My dad has not come back. My dad has not been with us. He has missed out on huge events. So, yeah, I hate that song. I really do. And I know they tell you there are five stages of grieving and that eventually you'll get over it. You'll move on. You'll be better. You'll be fine. What they don't tell you is the length of time it takes you to grieve. And for me, it's going to take a lifetime. I am never going to stop missing my dad. I am never going to stop loving my dad. Just because he's gone doesn't mean I don't love him anymore. So grieving doesn't have a time limit. It doesn't have a schedule. It doesn't have a 12-step program. It just is. And you'll bounce between the five stages. And you'll repeat some of them. And you'll get stuck in some of them. But you got to do them. And, I, okay, I will admit that I don't have that blinding, unbearable pain every day. That I can look back on happy memories and laugh and, and remember the happy feeling. And it is getting easier to talk about the day he died. Um, as you can hear, I still cry. <laughs> and then there are days where a song will come on the radio or I'll see somebody and just the way they move their hands reminds me of my dad. And I am a blubbering mess of goo. And I'm useless because I can't stop crying. But you have to do that. You can't push it away and push it down and push it aside because eventually, like an overstuffed closet or a volcano, it will erupt. It will get out. It will come out one way or another. It will. You can't ignore emotion. You have to feel it. You have to deal with it. The good ones and the bad ones. You have to feel them all. And by feeling them and going through them and acknowledging them and allowing yourself to have them helps you heal. And yes, I'm talking to certain people, not just myself. I know there are a few out there um, who are struggling with allowing themselves to feel any kind of emotion allowing themselves to admit 
that they feel any kind of emotion, that they feel certain emotions, certain feelings. You're allowed to have them. You're human. Whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're right, whether they're wrong. Feel them, have them. And if you need to, share them. So, I hope you took something useful away from that. <laughs> Other than the fact that, hey, you know what? I do have a heart. I am human. Okay, so we're going to lighten the mood just a little bit. And this is our last one, I promise. And this is something, again, 2009. <laughs> I actually liberated this from our local newspaper. And I found it rather funny. It reminds me a lot of my brother, because my brother is one of those people that will ask you, you know, weird and unusual questions, things that make you go, hmm. And these are things that make you go, hmm. Can you cry underwater? How important does a person have to be before they are considered assassinated instead of just murdered? Why do you have to put your two cents in, but it's only a penny for your thoughts? Where does that extra penny go? Once you're in heaven, do you get stuck wearing the clothes you were buried in for eternity? Why does a round pizza go in a square box? What disease did cured ham actually have? How is it that we put a man on the moon before we figured out how to put it it would be a good idea to put wheels on luggage. Why is it that people say they slept like a baby when babies wake up every two hours? Why are you in a movie, but you're on TV? If Jimmy cracks corn and no one cares, why is there a song about him? If the professor on Gilligan's Island can make a radio out of a coconut, why can't he fix a hole in a boat? And if electricity comes from electrons, does morality come from morons? <laughs> so there is your ha-ha, I had to lighten the mood after that last note, things that make you go, hmm. I think I'm going to end this podcast now before um, things get way out of hand. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I hope there was something in the personal things that I've shared with you that you could take away from it um, that resonated with you. If so, drop me a line. Stephanie Barty at theworldofmyth.com or look me up on Facebook. Um, Stephanie Barty author or no, that's Instagram author Stephanie Barty on Facebook and on Instagram Stephanie Barty author, Twitter Lupa B. And if you want to connect with the magazine, you can send us a message to the magazine on Facebook at the World of Myth magazine or the podcast the World of Myth bits podcast on facebook and on twitter the world of myth magazine and the world of myth bits podcast also get your submissions in deadline is today was sunday 15th so you know 
You know, I always give you a couple of days leeway. Maybe. Get your stuff in. Um, PCE, coming up soon. And don't forget to go to the Jaisalmon Network and check out all of the absolutely amazing shows we have for you on our network and in syndication. And check out our magazine. Yeah, the magazine, right. www.theworldofmyth.com I will chat with you all next week. I hope you have a good one. See ya. The World of Myth Bits.